0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Wrestling Tonight. I am your humble, hardcore host, Mad Dog Butch. And as always, joining me tonight, the Rocky Della Serra to my Bob. <laughs> <laughs> None other than Brace Beamer. Yeah, yeah, That was a good one. Anytime oh, you can get you, the Della
1: Serras you. in there, man, that's great. <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh <laughs> Our Our topic tonight is going to be territories, and uh if anybody personifies a tag team in the territories, it's got to be the Della Serra's.
1: Yeah, you might be right <laughs> <laughs> And what we mean by territories for those who don't understand the wrestling lingo is well
0: let's oh well go ahead go ahead okay
1: the the local it's it's more of a regional wrestling company as opposed to what we see now they're Pretty much every wrestling company that comes out tries to be global or nationwide.
0: And right. These were, these were right.
1: just around uh, each major city, each major market, basically. Yeah.
0: We'll, their... uh, yeah, we'll get into a little bit of the history of it. There's a couple things that I wanted to touch on before we get into our, our topic for tonight. Um, Got some breaking news? Well, a, a few things that, uh, you, you know, obviously we've been off for a few weeks. Tour of the Orient. Uh, Yes, exactly. Tour of the Orient, just like, just like our topic today. Yeah, uh, just like what they used to do. Um, first of all, uh, I just wanted to mention uh, when you and I first got involved with the Michigan Wrestling Organization, they had a, I, I, they had a setup where they wrestled at a bar, and it was like a great venue for professional wrestling in that place was terry's lounge in flint and i just wanted to mention you refereed many a match there yeah uh i wrestled Crap a couple but um i just wanted to mention that the owner of terry's lounge lounge gene reed passed away uh yeah. recently so uh, just wanted to pay our condolences to him and-
1: absolutely great guy too yes <clears throat> and a quality first name
0: <laughs> exactly uh one other thing coming up uh you know a lot of people over the years have asked about bringing pro wrestling to lake orion and um you know i mean mwo is here and uh and i i don't know is there ever like, a couple other leagues have have tried yeah that, their their yeah. hand here but i just wanted to mention that um at Canterbury Village, uh, between August 23rd and the 25th, there's going to be something called a Taco Fest hmm. coming up. And they are advertising Olay Lucha Libre Wrestling, hmm. which I believe is out of Detroit. But just uh, something that you might be interested in. They're going to have a burrito rolling contest. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to enter that one, huh? <laughs> C- continuing
1: the rich tradition of pro wrestling in Lake Orion.
0: <laughs> and, uh, so I just wanted to throw that one out there. Also a big congratulations goes out to our old friend, Jeremiah J. Hughes, uh, who I believe is still the Michigan wrestling organization champion, but just recently also won the Imperial wrestling entertainment world title from, uh, Benjamin Brody. Oh, is that so perfect? Is that the one that's in the Mount one Clemens? Yeah or, uh, uh, Mount Pleasant. Mount Ple- that's the one that, uh, John Campbell yeah. and, uh, yeah and uh, great group of Dennis. guys too yes,
1: uh so congratulations to him and he has a soft spot in our hearts due to our relationship with his uncle, yes, and I've known part of the family all my life, so yeah, congratulations I grew up, I
0: grew up right next door to his uncle uh I credit his uncle for showing me kind of the early days of of professional wrestling yeah like I, like, I mean I'm sure I had seen it before, but uh but 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 he definitely. Was he? He was into it probably before just about anybody else that I knew, and and was like big time into it. But uh, and we're talking about none other than Eddie the Maverick Hughes. That's right. For anybody that doesn't know, and I've been trying to get him here on the show. Uh, both of them. Uh, we will eventually. Um, but uh, with that, let's get into our topic. As you mentioned, the territories, um, and uh, I, I don't know how you did your list. I I just did my favorite territories um unfortunately we kind of started watching wrestling the tail end of the territory days um so we didn't really at least i didn't really get a chance to see probably the heyday not that it was bad i mean i loved what i saw yeah but uh but it wasn't really the heyday of the territories either um so that's how i compiled my list uh the top 10 my top 10 favorite territories so that being said, there's a couple of terries, territories that I did not put on here, but should be mentioned. You might have them on your list. But uh, number one, especially being from around here, well, I mean, this is not number one. This is just an honorable mention from me, is big-time wrestling from The Sheik. I don't know if you are going to uh, yeah, talk they're, about they're that. they're not on my list, not, but, but definitely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like
1: a local territory that, uh, that was around for quite a number of years.
0: Yeah. And – uh and, and and huge too. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the Chic Bobo Brazil. Uh, they used to bring in guys like Dusty Rose, Andre the Giant, um, yeah. and then they had the local guys too that 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 kind of made a name for themselves in this area. Uh, when we first started watching, well, at least when I first started watching it, um, you know, any older person like if they knew you were into wrestling, <laughs> would be like well, what about, what about these? What about, uh, I can't even think anybody. Yeah.
1: Like, Dick, the bruiser, Pompero Furpo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know?
0: Tex McKenzie, whoever, whoever. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, uh, yeah, no, I don't. I, I mean, I knew who the chic was and and I knew who Bovo Brazil was, but yeah, I and wasn't you knew really.
1: Dick, the bruiser just from pop culture around here, you know?
0: Well, actually, I mean, he, he still kind of had bruiser bedlam going. I mean that, yeah. but he still had bruiser bedlam going I'm kind of, His last-ditch effort to keep things going. Yeah, it was
1: part of the WWA out of uh, Indianapolis.
0: Right. So, yeah, he still had that going at the time. Um, And, actually, they had some, uh, they actually had a couple memorable things happen in the WWA. I'm not going to get into that. But the other other one that I wanted to mention, it was kind of a, I guess it would be considered kind of a latter-day territory. I loved it at the time um but I just didn't include it on my list but feel it definitely needs a mention but it it was kind of like the very last days of anything that would be considered a territory and that was uh Eastern Championship Wrestling which ended up becoming Extreme Championship Wrestling uh which was you know obviously Paul Heyman uh eventually took it over and 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 was the booker created Extreme Championship Wrestling and I you know I remember I had to, I had to get up for work. I don't know what time, but but they would show it at six o'clock. <laughs> Is that what time they yeah. would show it? Yeah. I thought it was five, but you know you, it you, may you, it
1: may have been because I remember <laughs> getting up earlier just to watch that stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, talk about hardcore. That's what I would do. I would like get up, watch ECW because it was on at like WADL at like early in the morning anyway. But I didn't have to be up yet to get ready for work. I'd watch it, go back to sleep reset my alarm and then like (laughs) and then get up and go to work that's but uh
1: (laughs) yeah wadl channel 38 for those of you who
0: are still used to the uh antenna but uh anyway i just wanted to mention those that both of those before i get into my uh
1: they're good honorable mentions uh, too
0: thanks and and there's probably other ones that i'm forgetting too oh yeah like ecw didn't make the cut on mine you, yeah, you know, but I well, I mean like I said, it's kind of a fine line there for what it is, but I mean it it was pretty much a territory, at least eastern championship wrestling. But I believe that was their downfall too when they tried to compete on the national level. Yeah. I don't think that really helped. I mean They, they were kind of considered but weren't gone there really way. a territory, Right. know. They
1: were yeah. a couple times a month, but yeah, still considered the somewhat that at that time, so. Yeah.
0: All right, so um Let's, let's just get right into it then. Um, you, well, I, I'll, I'll have you do it. Yeah, you started to talk about it, but for people that don't know, explain what a territory is, how the territory system kind of became, became what it was.
1: All right. Uh, a wrestling territory is, is basically a wrestling group. You can picture like the WWE they used to be a territory and they would run their shows in the northeast united states so they didn't they didn't travel outside of the northeast mm-hmm. because somebody in another part of the country like some parts of the midwest would have another territory mm-hmm. and then you know the midwest probably had like 3 or 4 different territories running and then the southeast part of the United States would have another, say, four or five territories. So everybody kind of respected boundaries. It's it's like if you were running a business and somebody across the state line had the same type of business, you wouldn't go into their territory and open up shop. Kind of like uh, a mafia or uh, a newspaper, yeah, or you know, healthcare. Yeah, <laughs> by and, government edict, you know, you you don't go into somebody else's backyard,
0: right? And and it was almost, uh, I mean, I mean, it's been described as a gentleman's agreement, almost a handshake agreement between all the original guys, all the original original promoters, uh, and and that was a longstanding thing up until Vince McMahon Sr. sold the WWF. To Vince McMahon Jr. in the early 80s,
2: yeah,
1: um, and worthy of note, a lot of people, other groups, did try to go national, right, and they kind of stepped on other toes of other people's boundaries at yeah. at different times, you know, in the, in the prior years. Yeah. So,
0: so uh, you know, one thing is this just happened to coincide with the big cable boom as well. So, it it, it would have happened. Yeah. I right. I mean, you know, AWA was on ESPN. Um the other promotions were were around. Um so somebody would have done it anyway. Yeah. Just just because of uh you know, the exposure that they had from from cable. And if the uh demand was there that they do live shows. I mean I mean I was looking at results and I never realized that Georgia Championship Wrestling—I well, probably did. I probably forgot about it. But that Georgia Championship Wrestling actually ran shows in Michigan. <laughs> yeah,
1: I remember that when I was little. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think about that because we would be watching me and my brothers on TV, and you would see, you know, Georgia Championship Wrestling and coming to uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, be there, and we're just like, you know, yeah, we're little, and Grand Rapids is like almost in another state yeah (laughs) you know may as well have been in another country you know (laughs) right man i want to go there because they would run the shows up
0: there southern michigan you know yeah yeah Yeah. so um let's uh like like i said these are not i'm not trying to say what was the greatest territory of all time or anything like that these are just my personal favorites and and also as i mentioned these were, like, the tail end of the territories. Um, you know, I started watching already after Vince McMahon had uh, created the WWF. Hulk Hogan was already champion. When I, I mean, when I started watching it religiously, you know, it, it was already in motion. Yeah, that, right. uh, You know, Vince started plucking guys from the territories, too. So without further ado, I'll just get into, um, I, I'll mention my number one, and that is Jim Crockett Promotions slash the NWA.
1: Nice. Um, I wasn't sure what you were going to
0: do number one.
1: Cause I'm interested in your list. Cause I kind of had a hard time with like my top five, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure some of yours are the same. Oh, sure. But, uh, yeah, I did too. Uh, I had more problem after, you know, after the first three or four, but, uh, it, you know, I thought about it. Some other ones may have been a little bit more exciting for me at the time, uh, you know, I, I probably got a little bit more pumped up when certain other ones that I'll mention later yeah. were coming on the air, but, uh, but overall NWA and just everything that it encompassed, uh, has got to be my number one. Yeah. Um, NWA
1: starting back in the 1940s with the, uh, territory system.
0: Right. And, and when I started watching it, it was dusty Rhodes's big run as the booker, um, I didn't really care about Dusty at the time. Uh but but the other stuff that they had going on. Uh and it was almost counter programming. I guess WWF still had blood on their shows sometimes but yeah. but it was just a different different thing. WWF was going in a different direction. NWA was like a little bit more fast paced. It seemed like a little bit more down and dirty, a little bit grittier, not as well produced at the time. Um but uh But yeah, just some some of the greatest angles, some of the greatest uh, wrestling matches in in my mind uh, took place during that era. Uh, I became a huge fan of the Midnight Express, just the feud between the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, which... Kind of is still going on to this day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I think they still have matches on the. Yeah, they're still making money other. off of it. You yeah, know?
1: whether it be T-shirts, autograph signings,
0: or matches. You know. Yeah. Um, Unreal. So just you uh, know, and, and then and then we we were able to watch a few different versions of the show. Obviously, WCW. Well, I I don't I don't think they called it WCW Saturday Night at the time. I think they just called it World Championship, Championship Wrestling. Wrestling. Yep. Came on Saturday nights at six oh five. Uh, worldwide wrestling, which you would get some oh, odd show. stuff every now and then. What a show! Like, yeah, I mean that that had to be one of the best NWA shows at the time. Yeah. Well, what was your you favorite out of the out of the two?
1: You know, because we both watched the six hundred five Saturday Night Show religiously.
0: Yeah. You know, what, uh, what was your favorite? Oh man, that's that's tough. Um, I I I'd probably have to say go with worldwide. I would too because you know it was from the arenas it was you would just see stuff that you wouldn't normally see and and, and a lot of the stuff on Saturday night was squash matches yeah um you'd get a couple of decent matches in there and, and then and then they would show videos and and matches from from the arenas sometimes too but uh, and then they would you know they would they would work some major angles in there too but but overall as far as just like from a wrestling aspect bell to bell I would say Worldwide was my favorite NWA television show. Yeah, that
1: w- that was a good show because you, you would get like a Dusty Rhodes versus Bobby Eaton match out of. They yeah. kind of had a oh, little yeah, trilogy
0: yeah. on TV on they, Worldwide, didn't they? Yes, they did. <laughs> they were awesome. They did, uh, it, which culminated in a yeah, because just out of the blue, I mean Dusty Rhodes, uh, you know, behind the scenes. Loved Bobby Eaton. He was probably a Stan Lane fan too, but but I mean so many people have gone on record and just said how much Dusty Loved Bobby.
2: Yeah.
0: Um so yeah, just almost out of the blue right after Dusty beats Luger for the US title, he's like he's like, "Oh, I'm going to start giving shots to the Minute Express guys or whatever." Maybe Cornette said that. I don't remember, but yeah. So, yeah, I was ecstatic about that. And then And then Bobby just didn't even get squashed. Uh, He actually, I think one of them, one of the matches he got a victory over him by DQ or something. There's a count out. And then, yeah. And then the, uh, and then the culmination was a cage match between those two. I couldn't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't believe they had a cage match between
1: those guys. That was awesome. Uh,
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely had stuff on there that you normally would not, (laughs) would not see and definitely not see on the Saturday night show. So, Um, so anyway, just, uh, NWA Jim crack promotions is my number one. Uh, what do you have as your number one pick? I'm
1: still debating between one and two, but I'm going to (laughs) go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with mid South wrestling, uh, or universal wrestling federation. One of our favorites growing up. Yes. Um, Kind of similar to the uh, Jim Crockett, you know, mid-Atlantic WCW presentation of wrestling, but a little more sporty than even Jim Crockett was. It was kind of like a like a Florida wrestling, presented more like a sport than even uh, Jim Crockett promotions. Fast action, um, but not too fast. Everybody wrestled. Wrestling was the base of it. They... Uh, Had hot angles. They were exciting. Uh, Jim Ross was the commentator. Made the matches even better. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, they would would use blood when they needed to, when Mm -hmm. it should have been done. Just fantastic. Cowboy Bill Watts uh, was the owner of that. Mm -hmm. And really incredible wrestling action. That's where I first saw the Rock and Roll Express. Mm -hmm. And immediately they were that might be my number one act of all time, even over, like, singles wrestlers, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I saw that when it when it started coming on WTBS because mm-hmm. when McMahon took over <laughs> the, the Georgia Championship wrestling slot. Yeah. And I just, I was like, man, this is this is the shiznit. <laughs> yeah. You know, Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, they would bring in, you know, Kamala would have runs in there, Iceman, King Parsons, mm-hmm. Ted DiBiase. Oh, it was... And they were just so good at what they did, they were believable, yeah, you know, yep, so right now that yeah that that sits at my num- number one, it's kind of okay. hard to overcome that i I probably will in the next couple of years make a switch, you know, but uh as I'm watching some of the other groups on you know the archive internet archives, so
0: right and and when I mentioned that that there was other ones that I would get more excited for when they would come on. That that is my number two. I will say that, and yeah. and like you, I, I went back and forth, uh, but I did pick that as my number two, um, mainly because I saw a lot more NWA than I was able to see of Mid South and slash UWF. Um, I'm pretty sure, like like I mentioned before. I didn't really know the difference between promotions when I first started watching it. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that I was watching Mid-South. It might have been Georgia. I don't know. But I remember seeing Jake Roberts in there, a young Jake Roberts in, in, in whatever, and I was thinking, man, this a Yeah, it could have so been either again. one of the two. Yeah, so, <laughs> I, so I, don't really, I don't necessarily remember. But either way, when UWF tried to go, well, when Mid-South went to go national by creating the UWF, I watched that show relig- religiously and just uh, like like I said, just when the beginning would come on, I would just get so pumped up and it, it just would, it, it, the early years of UWF, <clears throat> what, it probably lasted, what, a couple of years yeah. before, before it got bought out? Yeah, UWF
1: was, up. well, they called it UWF from 86 to
0: 87. Okay.
1: Yeah, it started, I mean, I, I wrote the, dates for you know some of these territories down okay i'll I'll just throw this one out for mid-south wrestling universal wrestling federation started in the early 50s and all the way to 79 was referenced as nwa tri-state okay and then uh bill watts took it over and it changed to uh mid-south i think he he took it over before it changed to mid-south so from 79 to 86 it was mid-south wrestling 86 87 Okay. Uh, universal wrestling federation okay great stuff
0: yeah just um just so many great things i mean <clears throat> they'd, they'd even get you interested in in you know jobbers like yeah. i mean it, uh, that was mike the first boyette. time i saw them <laughs> yeah like you know mike boyette was a, a jobber and maybe they had done this before but it was the first time i'd seen it where they kept account count of how many matches that he'd lost and then every once in a while he'd almost win and then he'd he'd like go up to the top rope and slip and fall and get pinned or something like that they kept <laughs> yeah. that going uh for a while um <clears throat> you know even gorgeous gary young who was kind of just starting out i mean i wouldn't call him a jobber but um <clears throat> but he got involved in in a feud with uh chavo guerrero who definitely was not a jobber right but uh but yeah it was like everybody on that show had a role yeah and that was, like, one of the first times that I had really ever noticed that. Um,
1: Hell, Mike Boyette lost more times, more different ways than the Lions did. He might be the only person in the history of sport to do that. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: <laughs> um, so what's your number two, then? If that was your number one, what's your number two?
1: <laughs> number two is uh, Southeastern Championship Wrestling or uh, Continental Championship Wrestling, Continental okay. Wrestling Federation. Uh, This was based in the southeastern part of the United States. It started out uh, in Knoxville uh, as a uh, Knoxville territory owned and operated by Ron Fuller of the famed uh, Fuller wrestling family. And it was very, it was similar to UWF, very similar in its uh, presentation of wrestling, more like a sport, you know, more hardcore, and they would use the blood um fantastic wrestling and i i liked this as a kid when i started seeing continental and part of it is because i would go down south and i have kin folk in alabama if you will and i would see continental i'd get lucky you know maybe every other year and <laughs> happen to see continental wrestling yeah. at the time it was southeastern for most of it right and i would see that on tv <clears throat> so it kind of immediately attracted attracted that to me
0: or can't even speak well we know
1: yeah. <laughs> right. So I started following it from them, and, and then now that a lot of that stuff is showing up on the Internet, all the old shows, I I watch that stuff. And it, it's it's eventually, once I finish watching everything, it'll probably be my number one. Okay. And that was the first set of TV shows. You know, you can go out there on the Internet. At least you used to be able to. It's harder now where you could buy, you know, all of the Universal Wrestling Federation TV shows from <laughs> – Nineteen eighty-one to eighty-five. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the first set that I bought, with all of them to choose from, was the Continental Southeastern stuff. Okay, very underrated, I think, in the annals of of wrestling, and they were as good as anybody. Yeah. I mean, I probably better <laughs> as yeah. far as the action. You know, they're a weekly town, so there was always stuff right. happening on TV. You know, it was yeah. fantastic, <clears throat> and and like Bill Watts, um, got you know Bill Watts got his base from Eddie Graham in Florida. You know, Florida Championship Wrestling. Ron Fuller got a lot of his base in the way he presented the show and presented uh, wrestling as a sport from Florida. Okay.
0: Yeah, um I, I we'll get to my take on that uh a, a little later. Um they I I really enjoyed it uh but but they are on my list so I'll, I'll but a, a little bit lower so get to them um so my number that was your number two that's correct okay so my number three is international wrestling from montreal uh another one that (laughs) i used to get excited about when it came on um it and it was almost like, I, I don't know, it was weird. I mean, obviously, it's Canada, so it was almost like you were just watching a totally different, I mean, obviously, it's a different country, but it was almost like you were just gazing into another world almost. <laughs> yeah, like, really. as, as far as it, the way it was presented. I mean, sometimes they would do interviews in French. Sometimes, you know, you would see matches where they would commentate it in French. Yeah. Um, And, uh through Throughout the run that we were able to watch it, they had working relationships with a lot of the other promotions. So at one point, I remember the Road Warriors showing up in there. Yeah. Uh, and then later on, they had a relationship, working relationship with um, Puerto Rico. So a lot of the Puerto Rico guys were in there. Abdullah Butcher was was like a big name in there. Um, the first time I'd ever seen Abdullah work, babyface was in there. Yeah, um, he he was their champion and a and a babyface champion for a while. Hey, that was odd. Yeah, Bruiser Brody was in there. Uh, Doctor D. David Schultz showed up in there. So it after Steve after Strong. he had left, <laughs> yeah, and then they were creating their own stars too. Yeah. Uh, first time, so Steve Strong was one of them, just like a huge muscle guy. Uh, people might know him later for I can't remember the names that he used. He 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 was in AWA, and then I think he was in WCW for a short time as like the Minotaur, yeah, or something like that. Well, they made him do
1: like an Indian character in the AWA at that's, first, yes, under Wahoo McDaniels' tutelage. Yeah, that's right. Like Wahoo was booking at the time.
0: Okay, yeah. that's right. I I forgot about that. I forget Billy,
1: or uh, I can't. Billy,
0: I can't remember the name that they. <laughs> Yeah. It just
1: didn't fit. He should have been sadistic Steve Strong.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then they tried to make it on top of it like he didn't know how to wrestle at all. Yeah. So he well, was he just... kind of didn't. <laughs> no, but he was better than what, what they were making him look like. Yeah. He just he just like do pick up pick people up and throw them down and like like he was trying to learn from Wahoo. That was like the shtick there. But but anyway, uh, him, um, you know, Rick Martell was in there. Tom Zenk was in there. Dan Crofett was in there. Yeah. Um, the Rougeau was Dino Bravo. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Uh, One of your favorites, uh, Samu. Yeah, Samu, the Samoan. I, he had a great run in there as champion. Um, Eddie the
1: Brain Creechman. Yeah, who, but I'm trying to think of,
0: uh, oh, Alofa, the Polynesian prince, yeah. who ended up becoming Rikishi. Uh, but at the time, obviously, he was like a he was like a cruiserweight <laughs> in <laughs> yeah. uh, in international wrestling. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, this this promotion, at least the time that I watched it, uh, it was right after Andre had sold off because Andre the Giant was right. part owner at one point. Yeah, that's so, correct. So it wasn't too long after Andre had sold his portion of it and started working for WWF full time. Um, so Gino Br- Brito uh, continued with it uh for a few more years i think it only lasted until about 87 yeah it was june
1: um, 87 yeah. remember the june 17th card in verdun
0: <laughs> is that the one they were building towards this big card and we yeah. were like i remember we were like so excited they were promoting it promoting it promoting it gino brito was going to be taking on abdullah in a cage yeah uh who was taking on <laughs> one of the della Saras against gino brito jr in the sock on a pole match yeah. with cowboy trey travis those are the only ones that – oh, uh, Keno Nagasaki. Rocky Was it Rocky? Yeah. Okay. Keno Nagasaki against Dan Crawfett. Yeah. And we go to – we were, like, all excited. We knew that, like, we were going to get the results and hopefully see some of the shows. We turn it on. They were done as a promotion. We didn't realize that. So they started showing reruns. So we would, like, watch the reruns, watch the reruns, hoping, like, that they were going <laughs> to finally show – Show us something from that show, and they never did. Yeah,
1: and what was weird about that is, uh, you know, we we have to we have to think we have to thank George Cannon for <laughs> getting that on CBC Channel Nine uh, in his Superstars of Wrestling promotion. Yes, in order to see that, but it was a weird relationship because sometimes we would watch it, and be getting into it, and then it would disappear for like a couple months. Yeah, you know, like and then it. it would come on again. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> So, I mean, it was as old school as a local uh, territory could get as far as what we were able to view on it. Right. Big yeah. history of wrestling in Montreal. George Cannon is yeah. a huge part of that, too. So.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, right.
1: and they are on my list. So I'll just say it now just to uh, save us some time. They were my number five.
0: Okay. All
1: right. And they, they were, as international wrestling, the uh, Andre Burrito, and there's another guy, uh, Frank Valoy. That yeah. was from 1980 to 1987.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, who is your number three then? Number three,
1: uh, Memphis Wrestling or Continental Wrestling Association. Okay. It's, it's mostly known in the wrestling circles as, as Memphis Wrestling. And that was based out of uh, – I mean, really it was based out of Nashville. But they had a territory that ran you know, Memphis, Tennessee, Nashville, parts of Indiana – It was a pretty big territory, but uh, that was owned by Jerry Jarrett, another Southern wrestling. You've probably heard me on here before saying how great Southern wrestling is, so they kind of dot my list here (laughs) all over the place. Yeah. And uh, that part of Memphis wrestling started in March 1977, went all the way to 89 when it became USWA. Okay. Uh, Great. uh, Jerry the King Lawler uh, is – probably the most known wrestler from Memphis Wrestling. Yeah. Um, and th- this was another, like, weekly territory where they ran the same town every week. When you hear, say, like, a weekly, that means they ran the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum every Monday. Right. Tuesday they would run in Indiana. Every week the same building over and over and over again. Right. So a little bit different than the WWF at the time or AWA, some of the bigger promotions. Right. But Memphis Wrestling had, you know, some say the best TV show and the most like the WWF would become or even was at the time. Um they they had all sorts of angle every angle, every feud, every type of stipulation that, that you can imagine they ran in Memphis. <laughs> and it was right. it was based on uh personal issues and they really they they tried to keep it as real as possible that's why like their tv show was the way that way it was where people coming out when they're ticked off you don't wait to hear from the next week right you know some guys out right. dogging the guy and the guy comes out of the locker room hell he's in the building
0: <laughs> <laughs> right you know yeah <laughs> so your thoughts on memphis uh i have that as a number six um uh, I, again, mainly because I didn't get to see a ton of it. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of it, um, and I, I I will say, unfortunately, nowadays, which, which is total BS. But people knock you know, wrestling stuff as being too southern, but but even more so, they'll say too Memphis. Yeah, and you know that that's BS. I mean, it, yeah. you know, I mean, Memphis was great name a wrestler that did not go through Memphis. I mean that that you would be, you'd be hard pressed to find a wrestler that did not go through CWA. Yeah.
1: And it seemed like a lot of guys, and that could be said for like some of the other territories that we're probably going to talk
0: about, you know,
1: they all, they all have a, have a pin that says that person been through here. That's that's (laughs) true. But, but CWA,
0: it just seems like, I mean, even if it was just for a week or two, it seemed like people would like show up there you know be on like tv maybe wrestle on the show and then yeah
1: (laughs) well a lot of people their last stop before they either went to awa the wwf or you know uh jim crockett promotions you know the three companies that were shown nationally their last stop was generally uh memphis wrestling yeah because they would a lot of the younger guys would you know because they didn't have the money to get all the big name talent and keep them in there all the time they would take these guys create them build them up and they would be in main events with Jerry Lawler right or Bill Dundee and they and they would learn how to work a upper card or main event type of match or type of angle from those guys and they get paid pretty well and then they would be you know off to another company
0: right yeah um so so they were interesting in the fact that Lawler was kind of the main booker, but then then he would, like, pass it off to Dundee. Well, Jarrett was the main booker. Yeah, Jarrett was the main booker, but then... But just it was just interesting the way that they would, because, you know, they kind of felt that ideas would get sort of stale. Yeah. So then... It, it was just, like, a longstanding thing where they would switch it back and forth. Between, yeah, very true. Between Lawler and Dundee.
1: And they would switch generally during the summer. Yeah. Uh, Lawler would get the book. He would start being the matchmaker and bringing the talent in. And then after the summer was over, then Jerry Jarrett would step back in and handle the booking. Okay. And then, he, you know, he would get, like, Dundee, uh, Dutch Mantel yeah. as well. Like, those guys weren't booking when Lawler was doing it. mm mm-hmm you know, they were obviously those guys who are helping out you know, how smart they are, but <laughs> right. Yeah. It just, I, some of the talent that people never heard of that, that went through there, like the dream machine. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're talking about looking at a whole different world, you know, watching True. international, yeah. the same thing with Memphis wrestling. Yeah. You know, and and it was just completely different than anything else. It was great.
0: Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Okay, uh well you touched on it, but my number four is Continental. And I you know, I was able to see like the earlier Continental, but most of the Continental that I saw was the original collaboration between Paul Heyman and Eddie Gilbert. Yeah. Their version of Continental. Which was I mean, I loved it. It was uh they did a lot of well, I mean, they you know they were kind of doing the same type of stuff where it was more more Memphisy stuff, right? Where it was more personal issues and um, but a lot of the main thing that I noticed was they kept their matches they kept a lot of their matches shorter and uh, it just it seemed like it made the hour uh, of wrestling kind of fly by,
1: yeah, and I, I mean. You and know, they are TV
0: it, matches, so they gotta be shorter, right? But, but it was even shorter than that. I mean, <laughs> they they seemed even shorter than that, somewhat. Uh, but I mean, not not in every case. But uh, but it just seemed like that show just moved, moved, moved. You know, you could just go from one segment to the next. Yeah, the and, pace of the show. Just, you're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just uh, you know, and and they did some they did some great stuff. I mean, they they, I mean, a long time. One thing that sticks out of my mind is. Long-time NWA jobber, Alan Martin, actually became, like, a huge heel manager in there. And yeah. and just he was, like, their number one heel manager in there. And he did just a fantastic job. Um, you know, just, uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that anybody really launched their career there at, at, at this period, at this time period. But they kind of used some some older guys, like, like Pistolpez Watley. It yeah. was like a huge baby face in there. Hmm. Uh, they changed his name to Willie B. Hurt, but um, just a huge baby face. Um, I can't even think of, like, who their top guys were at the time, uh, who they were pushing as their top guys. Well, at the end, he um, had Dr. Tom Pritchard. Yeah, know. yeah, that's right, Pritchard. Yeah, because I remember... They, he was their champ. That was, yeah, because that was the whole thing. They were, like, when I, when I first started watching it, because I think they started showing it on Score. Yeah, that's correct. And um, they were... They were promoting the big tournament. So they brought in a bunch of names, whether they showed or not. I don't know because they never showed the tournament. But it was funny because (laughs) you had, like, big names. Terry Funk. Yeah, you had Terry Funk. You had Bob Orton Jr. Murdoch. You had Murdoch. Yeah, you had all these guys. And then I remember the announcers talking about it, and they go to, like, Charlie Platt. Platt, And he's like, oh, I think Dr. Tom Pritchard's going to win it. (laughs) And so he does win it. It's like, really? You're going to pick? Yeah, the doctor. He's going to win it all. And so Pritchard (laughs) does win it. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, one of, one of the great feuds was they broke up the tag team of the nightmares, which was Kenny Wayne and and Danny Davis. Great as a tag team. That feud was amazing. Uh, (laughs) you know, at the time I would say Ken Wayne was probably my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers. Uh, he was just doing a great job. Um, that carried over to, and then once they kind of dissolved his junior heavyweight title running there, kind of carried over to Memphis to Kenny Wayne. I mean, he was just. Son Turned of, into a son great of Buddy Wayne. Heel. right? Yeah, so <laughs> another great worker. Yeah. So anyway, that's my take on
1: Continental. Well, you know, um, at, like for my money, if if anybody wants to go, just watch a different wrestling organization, some old school stuff on the internet somewhere. Watch the southeastern and continental stuff. Yeah. I mean, that is it's awesome. Yeah, wish <laughs> I wish yeah, I, I, I could have watched it from you know the time when I was a kid. Yeah. But a lot of that I have gone back and watched and that it's kind of reflected on my list. You know, I yeah. I just didn't do them from when I was a kid. Right. But just kind of like my favorites. Yeah. Now. All right. All right,
0: well, uh, what's your next one? Uh let's see what number are we on.
1: Oh, I think number 5. Are, yeah. Uh international wrestling like we uh spoke about earlier. Okay. Re- I mean, really, I, it, it was another thing cool about international is is they had when we When we first started watching it, their style was a little bit different than what it was like eight months later or then the next eight months because they would have, like, everybody look like Gino Brito or like a Bruno Sammartino. Mm -hmm. You know, they were all, like, big and stocky. Maybe some of this is coming from me going back and watching stuff that I haven't seen on the Internet. Yeah, But a lot of, you know, they had a lot of Italian guys in there. And they were all big and stocky, and they kind of had a certain style. And then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, boom. All of a sudden, every, there's, like, the Samu. There's more athletic guys and then some bigger, like, muscular powerhouse guys. And they had a mix of style. And then after that, you had the more, I'm going to call it, like, Calgary international style where people started doing a little, you know, like Furnace and Lafon. Or not Furnace, but Fat and Lafon, right?
0: No, Crowfat became
1: Phil Lafine. Yeah, okay. La- Crowfat and Who Who's the other? Who's the other Crowfat partner? I can't remember.
0: Uh, in there, Zank. in there it was, yeah, Zank it was Zank originally, yeah. But they would have
1: just a different type of guy, you know. They were they were kind of changing as as the wrestling landscape was changing, and it was pretty quick. Yeah, you know. So it, that was that's interesting to me how how they would just switch their um, presentation. Right, you know, as far as what type of wrestling you're going to see, it was pretty. It was it was pretty cool. Yeah,
0: I, I mean, I just think that they had a good mix all around because you had veterans in there, like I mean, you had Martel, Bravo, Slaughter, like you mentioned, but then you had, but then you're you're given Samu and you're given Steve Strong these like huge pushes. Yeah, and uh, Toshiaki Toshiaki Kawada, I should have mentioned him earlier. That that was the first time I ever mentioned him. Yeah, you know, and then he ended up. Going and becoming like a huge star in Japan.
1: Yeah, I but. still have a bunch of that on tape. And yeah. I think it's worthy to mention that that area in Montreal, there was an international wrestling before run by uh, Jacques Rougeau Sr. Okay. You know, in the, in, the, in wrestling in Montreal has a tie back to Boston, goes back to Eddie Quinn. There was international, or they called it Luta International, and then they right. had Atlant- or they had Grand Prix wrestling mm-hmm. with the Vachans. A big war, a big wrestling war in the seventies that. Pretty much killed wrestling there, as a lot yeah. of wars do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, George Cannon came in, did some promotion there. Had Brito and Bravo and all those guys. So, it's it's an it's an interesting read if you're a wrestling
0: fan. Okay. Uh, all right, my number five, and this one, I, I, I threw it on here begrudgingly, uh, <laughs> o- only because it's a kind of a gray area, and if you consider it a territory or or not, I mean, it's definitely a territory. The whole premise of it is trying to bring back the territories, and it's Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, nice. um, which started in the early '90s. Correct. That's correct.
1: 1992.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, that's what that's what it was. It was Cornette. Actually, it was end of '91. Okay. Dad. All right. Well, either way, it was. Uh, I, I just couldn't remember if I, I was pretty sure it was the early early '90s, but but anyway, either way um you know and and that's why it was pretty much created uh to try to the the territories were all pretty much done at that point yeah, and so cornet thought that he could re- recapture that, and I thought he did a good job i mean he he did a good job for the first so many years but um it, his benefactor i should say <laughs> was Rick Ruven who was a record producer uh and he was kind of the money man. Um, he did some like big time talent though, didn't he, Rick Rubin? Oh yeah, Beastie Boys Slayer. Uh, <laughs> probably a ton more, but those are the two that pop pop into my head. <laughs> Slayer. Unfortunately, unfortunately, because of him though, we got Prince Karis the Mummy. Because that was one thing. I mean, I don't want to harp on the negative because Smoky <laughs> Mountain was fantastic, especially at the time. Again, counter programming to what WCW had become at the time and definitely what WWF was in the early 90s. Um, you know, Smoky Mountain was great. But Rick Rubin at one point had seen a mummy when he was a kid in wrestling, which yeah, there's in been LA. different, different yeah. mummies. Yeah. yeah. So he insisted that Jim Cornette put a mummy into Smoky Mountain. Or he wrestling. was going to pull the funding. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> So uh I mean as far as wrestling mummies go, I guess Prince Karis was was one of the best booked ones. <laughs> but uh but um any anyway he did Was that the one that did the bear hug or was that the WCW munt? That that I was mean? that was the WCW oh. one that that lasted. I think I think that was it. That might have been his only appearance. We were there live. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> for one of the most infamous <laughs> I forget? wrestling uh angles or whatever. But anyway. as bad as Robocop. But, but, uh, I mean, I will say this, though, as far, I mean, I don't want, again, I don't want to waste waste everything on Prince Karis, but uh, he was the one that, I don't know if you remember, he like, oh, no, what I was going to say was, the good thing about it was, it gave us Daryl Van Horn, the <laughs> yeah. manager, yeah. who was, I mean, he was like so ahead of his time. He was Because good. they didn't care. Like Cornet had seen him on show, so he was like, he was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you with this mummy, see what you can do. So, you know, he, he, I, I can't remember what he said. I like looking back now. I guess I never caught it back then, or maybe I did. But some of the stuff that he was saying just went over the yeah. censors' heads. Yeah, because he was like, yeah, I was just pushing all this stuff. So you if you go back, references oh, because he all was that. talking about necrophilia yeah. and like all this other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. Yeah, he was a uh, smart aleck, wasn't he? Yeah. He was good, though. But, and so, you know, he's still around as the sinister minister, uh, <laughs> James Mitchell, whatever. But anyway, that was, like, his first big shot, and I think he did a great job as that Daryl Van Horn. Getting saddled with that crappy gimmick of, uh, well, I mean, he didn't have the crappy gimmick, but right. he was with a guy with a crappy gimmick.
1: But any, anyway. But if you're a linguist like <clears throat> him, then that's just, that's like an opportunity
0: <laughs> for success. True, there, yeah. You know? Yeah, he's a very cunning linguist but uh and i think he might have worked that into his promo too but uh but anyway uh like i said i don't want to harp on that um pretty much well i mean look at all the people that came from there chris jericho uh lance storm started out as the the thrill seekers in there the gangsters, um boo bradley who later became uh balls mahoney uh, I, again, it was another place where guys that were like in the big leagues could come back and kind of rejuvenate their career. Yeah. And then new guys could s- start out. Um, Kane yeah, started out in there as Unibom as a tag team with Al Snow and Al Snow was knocking it out of the park as a heel in there. <laughs> yeah. Why they didn't capitalize that on that later when he went to ECW and, and, and WC or, uh, WWE. I, I have no idea, <laughs> but, uh, because he just did a great job as a heel. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, they were basically, it was like the last-ditch effort to continue with the uh, the territory system. Yeah, and also you had guys, um,
1: you know, like Tony Anthony was a, an incredible worker. Tracy Smothers, I like Tracy Smothers. Oh, he's great. Like, he was, you know, I was a fan of his. I've, I just, man, there's Paul Orndorff. Went was so in there, right. Ronnie Garvin. They had Orndorf and Garvin when Smoky Mountain started. I mean they you know, toward the earlier part, they, they had some really good
0: matches. Yeah, they, <laughs> you know. They did. Uh I should mention this too. They ended up I you know, and I'm oh, they ended up having the working relationship we we definitely have to mention these guys, the uh the heavenly bodies. Oh yeah. Um
1: both versions.
0: Yeah, both versions, and they ended up exchanging talent with WWF. Where you had Buddy Landell on on this big card, I can't remember which yeah. card it was, but you had Buddy what Landell against Shawn Michaels, and you had the Undertaker versus, I believe it was Unibomber. Yeah, sure was. And then in exchange, WWF got to put um, the Heavenly Bodies in a feud with the Steiner Brothers for a while, and they had some great great matches yeah. on pay per view.
1: And really, the Rock and Roll Express was there for darn near that whole Smoky Mountain run, and what. They were they were awesome there. What they could do with just any team that was put in front of them. Yeah. You know, they made the gangsters. <laughs> yeah, pretty you know, much. Really, yeah, they did. You're yeah, right. what what a what a small little territory that was. <laughs> and it was just so awesome that we were able to see it on TV.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, thanks yeah. to those folks at WADL. i got to find out who that is so we can send them a little <laughs> gift package, a little wrestling
0: tonight. You know. Yeah, right, right. Gift box or uh, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Rock Action knew because he was trying when we were on the Power Driver to get him on on the Power Driver show, and I, I don't know why it never went. Through, oh, really? But oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah.
2: I was <laughs> ask him about His last
0: that. name's Adele. I know that. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, yeah, knew the Adeles owned it. But yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah, John I, or uh, Rock Action, I know had been in contact with him. That that was just one thing that we were trying to get done on on there so many years ago, but it just yeah. never came to fruition for whatever reason. And they
1: still show wrestling on WADL TV thirty eight.
0: They, they have, they? yeah, I don't have it
1: anymore. They have Hollywood, uh, oh, championship right. wrestling or championship wrestling that's, from Hollywood. That's right. Every that's once a while, on I'll be able in a while, they get has been on there for quite a few years. Yeah. But every
0: time I try and watch it, it's just like, man. I know I don't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't I can't get into it, but. Anyway, um what's what's your number where are we at? Number six. Number six.
1: Number six, the American Wrestling Association, AWA. Uh my viewing of the AWA started on PASS Pro Am Sports. It used to be a local or a regional, Midwest regional um sports paper. Okay. I don't know what the hell to call it. <laughs> it was a pay channel for sports. It started right. like yeah. basically around when we first got cable. It was already yeah. in existence. Yeah. So it was on there and I was we we paid for it for a short time and then we didn't. But some of the old VCRs had these channel tuners on there. Mm-hmm. And this was at the beginning. So sometimes I could I could tune the wheel on this and get a pretty decent picture of pass. Or sometimes I would just have to listen to it because I couldn't get the picture in. Okay. So they were on there, and then they were on uh, ESPN. So I was able to watch them for quite a long time. Or I'd go to Ryan Rabbs' house, and they had pass, and every once in a while I'd see it over there. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, the AWA was run by Vern Gagne. It ran from 1960 to 1991. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of people our age, uh, or even around our age, look at the AWA for how it wound up and, Right. You hear the, oh, well, they got rid of Hogan and they went downhill. That's not true at all. You know, Vern wasn't past his time over the hill until the end, really. Right. They had Rick Martell. Was, he was their champ for a while. Hulk Hogan was in there. Dr. D. Like some of the same names that you hear from going territory to territory. Uh, Greg Gagne, uh kind of gets a bad rap, but he was a hell of a talent. Uh, later on, you had the Midnight Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Marty Janetti. Nick Bockwinkle, one of the greatest <laughs> ever in the sport, was their champion on and off throughout the 70s, 80s. Larry
0: Zbysko. Oh, yeah.
1: Incredible talent in there. Yeah. Sergeant Slaughter wound up going in there. Jimmy Snuka, Colonel De Beers. Yeah. Oh, toward yeah. toward the dying days of it, it was still good. Like that Snuka and De Beers feud was yeah. Was really good. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the Rockers against uh, Summers com- and Rose. That, and, and then
0: later on with Bad Company. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean they had some really really good uh feuds. It was just presented different. It was more it was a it was more like the Northeast WWF style. Right. Where it was just a little slower. They would they would work a hold or sit in a hold a little bit more. But then when the time came to, you know, shit and get, they would get, you right. know, they would Yeah. <laughs> That that was a really you know, in looking at it, I look at it more fondly in hindsight. It was just a really cool wrestling organization and, and I miss having that different I miss having just the wrestling. I was a fan of like if two guys could go in there and just wrestle the whole time and not throw a punch. Mm-hmm. And if as long as it was good enough, I was you know, yeah, I was cool with it. I liked yeah. it. You know. Yeah. My first foray into wrestling was amateur wrestling through my dad. Mm-hmm. So I always had that like in my heart. And then but they wouldn't they were a monthly territory. They would run monthly towns. So every week on TV you wouldn't see somebody getting split open or some big angle <laughs> going on. Right. Because they would run St. Paul and then a month later come back to Saint Paul or Denver, yeah. or Utah or the Cow Palace. They were right. they were a juggernaut at one time, probably late seventies. Um maybe the biggest money making where you could go and apply your craft and make the most money for three or four days a week, Mm -hmm. you know, and that probably held into the early eighties where it was like AWA, you wanted to make money. You went there, WWF, Jim Crockett, well, you can make money anywhere, but like big money. Yeah. They, they were, they were awesome. Vern Gagne did a great job, you know, up until the end there. And they just, they, they didn't have the capital or didn't want to put the capital in to try and compete. And they had the nationwide platform. So, right. Yeah, it was, it was sad when they went away. But, I mean, the, the Remco figures, <laughs> they were the first wrestling figures that I saw. Yeah. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's what I was going to talk about, too. Uh, So we should, okay, I'll just, my, my number six was uh, CWA or Memphis. My number seven is AWA. And. It, it, <laughs> I probably in the in the early days of like like I said when I was first figuring out who was who. Yeah, it's kind of
1: hard to do at first. I know?
0: probably watched AWA more than anything because it was on later at night, and yeah. it seemed like it was on ESPN every night. Yeah. It probably wasn't, but in my mind, it seems like it was. So I remember seeing guys. I you know I I I had probably I had either seen their their action figures or I had read about them in the magazines because I remember seeing like, you know, the Freebirds and. The road, the road Warriors, I think, were still in there at the time when I first yeah, started watching it. Yeah. It was right absolutely. before they made the jump to NWA. Yeah. So yeah, we should definitely mention that. I mean yeah, the Road I Warriors didn't even were road like Warriors are the birds, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Uh those guys too. I mean, they just had some amazing super cards too. Yeah. Like those ones that they would have at Kaminsky Park. Yeah. Just top to bottom, just lined with all the greatest talent in the, in the 80s. Yeah, and they I ran mean.
1: the dome there in Minneapolis, you know, where the Vikings played. Yeah. You know, and part of the deal is, like, if you go watch that stuff now and, you know, you compare that to, say, what the WWE does for their WrestleMania show, you know, and the AWA would have, like, thirty or 40,000 people in a 60,000, 50,000-seat dome, you know, mm-hmm. you look at it and like, well, it's not filled out. Well, they, they had they didn't have the big buildings, all these territories. Like they could have sold a lot more tickets, but they just didn't have the big buildings like they had, Mm -hmm. you know, starting in the mid eighties when, you know, basketball and hockey and all the other sports started to grow and they would have these big, huge arenas and more towns would get professional sports. They would, their biggest arena might be Mm 5,000 or 8,000. You know, they couldn't put 20,000 in, Mm -hmm. you know, Memphis, uh, that arena sellout was 10,300 or 10,500. Mm-hmm. And it's a big arena, but there are times where they could have put 20,000 people in there, you right. know, and they just yeah. couldn't, they'd have to run yeah. a football field or a big arena. Like you're talking
0: about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going, I, I should just mention this. Uh, I I agree with you uh, or what, you know, what you said about the action figures. Um, that's one of my early memories too, Was going back to Eddie the Maverick Hughes. I remember like walking into the locker room in like seventh grade, probably, and he's got a ring sitting on a bench with like filled with all like the toys. And I was like, holy crap, I didn't know they made wrestling toys, you know? (laughs) But, um, and I should mention this San Diego Comic Con just, uh, Mattel was just uh, a week or two ago, and Mattel just revealed that they're going to be doing He Man style uh wrestling figures yeah which uh look pretty cool so if you're like a big awa remco guy um be on the lookout for those um i i mean it's it's almost like a mashup of (laughs) he-man guys like like sting looked like he was a mashup with clawful yeah yeah they Uh, were. that's right um randy savage looked kind of normal but he just had the gimmick where you push his chest and it changes like like He Man and Skeletor had that, like, like battle damage. Yeah. So I don't know what it changes on on him. Rey Mysterio looked like Stratos. It was like a mix up of those. Um, it Was one that looked like the Zodiac. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then and then, the, you saw the John Cena, but there's also I don't think I sent it to you, but there's also going to be a faker John Cena <laughs> too. The blue color. So, yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, sweet, sweet memories. Like, like bakery man. <laughs> so, um. And that's a show for another time, because you've been talking about wanting to do that one, about the whole, like, wrestling figures.
0: Oh, yeah. That. It's coming. It's coming down the pike. Uh, hopefully sooner than later. Uh, so we got some plans for that one, where it'll be dedicated to all of the wrestling toys and action figures coming up. Um, so that puts us at, well, that should put you at your what? Number, number se- seven. seven. Yeah. Okay.
1: Number seven, all Japan pro wrestling. The first Japanese one to squeak in here. And okay. th- this is, this is more, um, you know, cause it wasn't on TV around here when, when we were growing up and watching, you would see clips and that was one of the cool things is like, you could see a, a clip or maybe a match from another territory you know say somebody's coming into jim crockett's wcw on tbs and they would have a clip and you would see stuff from like whoever's coming in their fights in memphis or yeah texas or wherever else you know right that that was one of the cool things about the territories but all japan pro wrestling i kind of picked up on that i liked them because they were like americanized but in japan japan mm-hmm. i was a fan but once the internet hit and people started putting all this stuff out, then I was able to go back and watch a lot of All Japan. Okay. And that was run by uh, Giant Baba or Shohi Baba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I believe that's how they pronounce, yeah. pronounce his first name. And that started October 1972, and I went to 1999. Wow. As far as the period that, that I liked after that. I think after Baba died, Miss Baba was running it for a while, and Kawada yeah. or somebody got in there and was running I think it. So, yeah, Then it turned into Noah. But this was the giant mm-hmm. Baba, giant Baba period, and you had guys, you know, your your American Japanese staples like Stan Hansen and Brody. You know, those guys would would jump between the two. Abdul the Butcher, right? But guys like the Funks were huge in Japan. They were the yeah. American bookers for Japan for years like some of the classic stuff that you can go out and watch with the funks oh yeah how the crowd loved them harley race you know and they would they would they would have super matches that you would read about in the magazines here in the united states mm-hmm. you're like man i want to see that you would see like nick Bockwinkel versus like rick flair yeah you know awa champ versus nwa champ mm-hmm. or something like rick flair versus nick Bockwinkel. you would just see these interesting matchups over there that they couldn't do here yeah that nobody unless you were in like they they would kind of do them in st louis or houston because mm-hmm. those were two towns that ran they weren't really territories yeah but all of that stuff always intrigued me and fascinated me whenever i'd you know i'd get a wrestling magazine and you'd start reading through the results over there and just see some of the matchups and right it it always held my attention and then once i was able to see some of that stuff yeah i mean it it was great I
0: fantastic so that's stuff. where andre wrestled too though yeah right? okay
1: yeah because the office is over i call them office or wrestling territories like the wwf the the wwf had a relationship with new japan pro wrestling which okay. was antonio noki's group mm-hmm. but just about all the nwa member organizations had a relationship with all, all japan, japan right baba's group so that's why you kind of saw like certain certain wrestlers or talents go to new Japan and then some to all Japan. Okay. You know, so it was, it was just, I mean, it was fascinating just to like coming up, looking at it, going, man, I want to see that, mm-hmm. you know, now you can see a lot of this stuff. So that, that's why they're on my list.
0: Yeah. Um, I did not only because I have not, I, I mean, I've seen a lot of them now, but going up, no. I mean, I, I I think every once in a while you could rent like uh, a VHS tape or something of of matches from there. It might not even have been down, but I mean, do you remember that? It would yeah, be like, there was like some other be company like Dick that Murdoch and Kit and, Parker, and the, yeah, films or something, something like so, that. So yeah, so you'd be able to see that. Yeah. Um, I, I I believe. Well, did I tell you to watch? Was it All Japan or New Japan classics that they have on that Facebook page that I told you to like subscribe to, because. I've been watching a ton of matches on there, but I don't remember now if it's All Japan or New Japan.
1: You no, know, I don't remember either because I
0: think it was. Well, where's Tiger Mask in the eighties? Because there's a ton of he Tiger Mask. He was New Japan. It. Okay, so it must be New Japan. Yeah, yeah. A Calgary ton of- had uh, Stampede had a relationship with New Japan wrestling. Okay, yeah. So because the, there's like a ton of of uh, Tiger Mask matches that pop on the uh, up on there. Um, anybody that's interested in that, follow it on, on Facebook. It's just called new japan classics or something like that and and all they do is post different matches uh and there's some just amazing matches that i've seen on there so like stuff that i'd never even knew existed like i I didn't (laughs) realize that kabuki was wrestled over there for as long as he was you know i just always assumed he was in world class like the whole time well then they had the
1: kabuki versus nagasaki matchup, you know and that was was that late 90s maybe
0: uh, I, I don't know. Probably because he changed from Nagasaki because he quit doing the Nagasaki yeah. gimmick not too long after that. But just
1: uh, like the original <laughs> Kendall Nagasaki and uh, World of Sport, mm-hmm.
0: right? So, uh, so that was your that was my number seven, seven. Okay. Uh, now this this got a little tough for me <laughs> towards the end. <laughs> yeah. These these three, my next three are almost kind of related. I mean, and, and they are. It's like They morphed into each other over the years. So uh, my number eight, though, is Global Wrestling Federation. The Global Wrestling Federation. Global Wrestling Federation. Um, These guys, when they started out, it's almost like, it's kind of like AEW now. Uh, They brought in, like, all the talent that WCW and WWF didn't have. Um, They brought in guys from... All across the world, you know, they brought in guys from Japan and Mexico, and and they had their like original tournaments for the belts. Kind of after that, you know, it, it weeded guys out a little bit. I, I mean, you know, Terry Gordy, uh, Cactus Jack, these guys were yeah. like in their tournament. Um, just, I, I, I mean, just, just so much talent. It's unbelievable that that was in there. Um, it, it was a little different. I mean, but. It was on ESPN again. Um uh, I, I don't think it was on every day, but it but it kind of took the AWA spot, I think, on ESPN yeah. or maybe the world class classics, what whatever. But uh but they were like the first ones that I really saw in the US to give the lightweight guys a push. Um one two three kid yeah. was in there and uh Jerry Lynn was in there. Those guys had some great matches in there, but just the talent that came from there, uh, for the talent that ended up being huge names in the 90s. Booker T started out there, uh, and Stevie Ray. Um, Lightning Kid became X Pac. Yeah. Uh, Buff Bagwell started out in there as the handsome stranger. Um, just a ton. Muck and just Sing. a ton. <laughs> yeah. Muck and Sing later became Norman the Lunatic. Um, who was better just,
1: before is fucking sing? You know.
0: Yeah, but just, uh, just, just a crazy amount of talent was spawned from there, um, and they, they, I think they lasted a few years. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed watching it. Towards the end, it was almost like an AWA thing. Towards yeah. the end, it was almost unwatchable. I mean, yeah. I would watch it, but it was like a train wreck. Yeah. I mean, it was just like they. Bruce Pritchard was in there. Yeah, for a while as the announcer, and then he started. At, at, he was he the one that got hit over the head and thought he was Elvis as a, as a commentator. It just got really ridiculous. Was it. that him? It might have been somebody. Yeah, else. Yeah, they'd have some boss it in Africa been, or whatever. It, it might have been know? somebody else. But, oh, Raven started out in there. Uh, well, I mean, he didn't start out in there, right. but you know, he he was in there. but some he went exposure. To WCW, there. yeah, huge exposure. Um, but uh, but yeah, a, and and that was. You know, they wrestled at the Sportatorium, which was uh, world class. But you know, once world class was done, um, and and it was Joe Pedicino that uh, that actually ran it. Did Pedicino
1: um, start that?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yep. So any, anyway, yeah, that was
1: great because mm-hmm. it was another it was another place to see a lot of guys that you read about. Yeah. You know, it was just so different. You didn't have the internet. Oh, I hear this guy's good. You know, yeah. so you can go look him up in <laughs> a couple clicks and you can see his matches. Then you'd read him about a magazine or hear about him, and then you'd have to wait. <laughs> you'd yeah. have to, you know, yeah. the, the self gratification wasn't immediate. Right. And right. sometimes you'd wait years, but you were able to see some of these guys, you know, that you've only read about.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another guy that they had in there was Adrian Street in the beginning. Yeah. Oh, what a what a piece of talent that guy is. Yeah, and then later on, like like I said, like uh, I think Gilbert ended up being the Booker at yeah, one point. He sure Eddie, did, Eddie Gilbert. So you know, and then you that's had, when
1: Pritchard was there.
0: Okay, yeah. Then you had uh, so you had Gilbert, you had the whole oh the Patriot. The oh Wilkes. started out in there. Uh, he was the like a huge Patriot. star, and then you had the Dark Patriot, which was Eddie Gilbert's brother in, in the whole like body suit. Um, they had like a feud. A, um just i mean there was a lot of good stuff in there i, I don't think they get the credit that they deserve because again kind of like awa people remember them for like the last couple of years where they had basically nobody right in there i don't even know i, I don't ever remember seeing any of those guys again that were like wrestling like that last yeah. year i'm sure they i'm sure some of them went on to do stuff but in my mind they well they, they have like, rugged rod price you know um yeah but he Calvin i don't think Knapp, he was there at the what very end was that end guy's though. name but all these guys I don't think they were there at the very end. It was all these yeah like, it was like just bad, like at, <laughs> at the very, very end.
1: And um, you know, they've probably lasted for about four years, maybe. I think so, four yeah. Or five because they had they, were. they had a local show. Once ESPN dropped them, they still had a like a quasi syndicated show. I think they got on that K T V T Channel eleven out there somewhere in oh, Dallas. It okay. was basically like a mini super station. Okay. Or yeah. But but they did have a syndicated or a or a TV show even after they were off of ESPN.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah, that was that was fun watching that stuff. That I mean, and that's what it was. It was just it Different. was just kinda like a fun a fun show. Yeah. I mean it was But I couldn't handle know, it they, at the end though. No, I mean the, no, all the no, the last God. the last season or whatever. Yeah, it was just ridiculous. It was <laughs> like they were just uh whatever. <laughs> throwing throwing anything <laughs> they could at the wall. Uh so that or you and your so does that number eight you to your number eight then
1: yeah okay. and that's uh smoky mountain wrestling we we talked about them earlier but while we're here just like a smoky mountain wrestling was based out of knoxville tennessee and they and knoxville has a tie-in with my number two with southeastern and uh, continental wrestling um pretty much knoxville was was they had wrestling, but it was a one-town deal, kind of like St. Louis or Houston. Mm. And then Ron Fuller went in there and made it a territory. Okay. And so when Smoky Mountain came in there, when it started coming on, I was kind of expecting it to be more Memphis type. Okay. But it was really more like Southeastern right? type, you know? Yeah. It was more, it, it was interesting because it was a, it, like watching it, it's a complete mix of, Of, like, Southeastern or Continental, and then some Crockett, NWA in there. And then... Then
0: even some, like, Watts UWF, I would say. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, really. And that it was just... I don't know. It's kind of a... And I'm listening to Ron Fuller's uh, podcast called Mm -hmm. The Studcast. If you're into wrestling history, it's kind of the place to be. It's it's just such an interesting story Mm -hmm. and territory. And it was, like, the epitome of Southern wrestling. Yeah. You know, just... Great stuff. So that was my number eight.
0: Okay. Wait, which was your number eight? Smoky Mountain? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. And guys like, you know, I think we mentioned him earlier, Tony Anthony, one of the guys who probably doesn't get enough credit for being so good. Right. And Ron Wright, you know, they kind of... Oh, yeah. He He spawned from the Knoxville area and still right. worked in there. Oh, yeah. speaking of Ron Wright, like, for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, like, I they did such a good job with Ron Wright being Tony Anthony's manager in the chair. And then they did the ha ha thing, (laughs) you know, where Tammy Sitch or Sonny took him away and was drugging him up to try and get his like money, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but they did such a good job of acting like he was wheelchair bound, you know, and he always sold the heart condition. And then in one match he got up out of the wheelchair, hit somebody, he used to wear a chisel on his, (laughs) <laughs> you know taped up in his fist that was kind of his gimmick and he he hit somebody and they went down and the crowds just like all ticked off oh yeah because he's supposed to be wheelchair ridden yeah
0: you know? yeah they sold that for so long i know and then when he finally got up and did that the crowd was gonna it, you knew it, it, did it wasn't, cause a riot didn't it yeah or, all, almost. almost you knew it wasn't real but they did it so well and for so long that when you did it you were like shocked now, okay, now was it Smoky Mountain, or was it Continental that did the angle with uh, Tony Anthony roughing up the dirty white girl?
1: Well, they did it in a couple different
0: spots. Okay.
1: Yeah, uh, one was Continental, and the other was, that may have been...
0: Uh, the Continental was to set up Tom Pritchard, right? Yeah. Because Tom Pritchard made the save, and then they turned on... Yeah, him. and
1: Tony Anthony did it before in... Gosh, I can't remember which territory that was. Cause that was the second time they did it.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah.
1: But the one with Tom Pritchard, they hung him over the rope, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. It was continental. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought, but I couldn't remember. Yeah. But all right. My, uh, number nine is again, sort of has ties with global, but not really kind of, uh, a last ditch effort to between the dying territories to combine and that is USWA, which was sort of a combination of world class <clears throat> excuse me, and CWA. Yeah. Was AWA still involved in that? No. No. It was just it time. was just yeah, okay. Um and they got world class's old spot on ESPN before global. And their matches again were from the Sportatorium after world class. And they made Uh, Unlikely guy their (laughs) Booker, in Eric Embry, who revived that territory huge. Yeah. Um, You know, I remember, like, when he started pushing himself as the main babyface, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I know, me too. But he was over huge, and he did a great job of it, actually. And he could work, man. He knew what he was doing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And he did a fantastic job. I mean, that... That was uh you know, I really enjoyed watching that too I, I I mean I was glad because world class had gotten so stale, and I was never a huge world class fan anyway but um but I was glad when 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 those two combined and started doing shows opposite each other and and uh, you know combining the talent and everything, and uh just breathed new life into that whole. Those bo- probably both of those territories, Yeah, as far so, as I'm concerned. More
1: specifically, Dallas, though. So they made a ton of money yeah, def- down there. Yeah, definitely <laughs>
0: Dallas. Because, I mean, uh, just, uh, you know, and they even worked it into an angle uh, where I, I, I can only assume that they thought that the crowd there would never buy USWA wrestling over world class. So what they did was they had the takeover from, like, uh, akbar and 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 his army yeah and they had world class so then uh eric embry and the good guys represented uswa so they worked it where they ended up taking the world class sign down putting the uswa sign up in the sportatorium and actually got the crowd to like pop huge yeah the way they like worked that whole thing
1: yeah they did a great job with that because that that was a tough sell you know
0: right yeah because i mean who would have thought that that you could Oh, one good thing. One other great thing about that was Kerry Von Erich jobbing to the claw hold of Terrace Bulba.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I remember,
0: like, popping for that huge. That was right. I think that was right before Kerry jumped to WWF. Yeah.
1: PY Too High was in there. They did a
0: a fantastic job with that.
1: Yeah, they did. Because, really, when they changed the USWA, like, the name of it, you know, I kind of didn't like it. I wanted, (laughs) I still wanted, like, you know the world-class name yeah you know but i mean it was it was cool
0: yeah no i, you know, I, I mean,
1: accepted it
0: yeah I, eric embry you know just for that whole run deserves a lot of credit yeah and you know they, it's a name he's a name that never gets mentioned by anybody anymore <laughs> so
1: yeah l carrie binary did great work there i mean that was like pretty good stuff that he
0: did yeah, he did. And he, he, he only did. had one wheel,
1: you know. I mean his he
0: had his right. leg and foot
1: amputated, you know?
0: Yeah. See, that was another thing too, that I'm I'm sure they were like leery of not making Carrie the, the, the focal point. Yeah. Like, right. But uh Oh
1: they were. Yeah. You heard Jerry Jarrett tell some of those stories, like yeah. You know but they
0: worked it they worked it to where, you know, it was believable. Yeah. And uh, you know, Kerry didn't need to be the main guy anymore, and he couldn't be the main guy anymore. So,
1: and Jerry Lawler was a uh, you know a bad guy in Texas. Did a great job.
0: Oh yeah, he did a fantastic job <laughs> yeah. as the heel.
1: He was awesome.
0: All right, all right, uh, we're running a little on time. So what's right. what's your number nine?
1: Number nine, the World Wrestling Federation, now known as the WWE. Obviously, Vince McMahon Jr. owns that. Opened in 1952 with his dad. And really, I don't know. It looks like our feed has gone from, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our live feed has gone. Anyway, uh, WWF, my number nine, you know, as, as much as you poke fun, I, and they're the biggest bear in the woods, so <laughs> you kind of, they, they do get more arrows slung at them. But they did have some good stuff. Like when I was younger, you know, like the Jimmy Snuka versus like Don Morocco, you know the Roddy Piper, Jimmy Snuka, Slaughter, Iron Sheik, mm-hmm. Dr. D Hogan, they did have some really really good stuff. It was just a different show, it was a different pace. You would have to you'd have to wait a little bit longer to get the action. Right. And then yeah. really what what helped carry me through from the WWF perspective was the Primetime Wrestling show. It was kind of you know like like we were talking earlier the uh Worldwide Wrestling where it was, you know, all from house shows. That's what primetime wrestling was for the WWF, and USA Network. You get to see a card, not the whole card, but from Boston or New York or wherever they were at, Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, going back, I didn't put them on mine because I don't uh, (laughs) – yeah, but because I didn't watch a whole lot of it until after – so, you know, I obviously by the time I started watching it, it was already the the non territory version of WWF yeah. WWE. So I did not include them, but yeah, I mean they they definitely should be included yeah. on, on people's list because they, they were a great territory as well.
1: Yeah, all that stuff with like Orndorff and Hogan, <laughs> you know, they still had they still had good feuds, and they still would have like you know with with a match that actually paid off. Yeah, but they're just few and far between. It was more ha ha, and right, you know, you get you get used to wanting your wrestling more like a sport instead of entertainment. And right, takes a you know you have to weed through a lot of that to find the sport.
0: Yeah. All right. uh, So my number ten is, and we've talked about a little bit, is world class. Um, That is my number ten as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just not a huge fan of them, but uh, but they definitely should be mentioned. I mean they. You know they were innovative in a lot of ways too. They did have a lot of wrestlers come through there. My gripe was, I mean, first of all, pushing the Von Erics as huge as they did, which I mean, I guess you had to. And yeah, they deserved you know, it. It still, yeah. it still brought the crowd in. My main gripe is you, you stick a tag team like if you watch a match between the Fantastics and the Minette Express in there, yeah, it's not a good match. It's and I, 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 I guess I blame it on the ring, but there's guys that like were just great wrestlers in other areas. And I don't... Because, I mean, for people that don't know, the ring that they used at the Spartatorium was actually a stage. So I don't think there was a whole lot of give there. Yeah. Um That's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> it's like... It was like they were... I don't know. It was just not Yeah, their good, rings
1: were... Not a good bumping ring. No, they're like... and Part of them were made out of, like, railroad ties. That one at the Will Rogers, you know? Yeah. No give at all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I think... I think the wrestling itself kind of suffered because of that. Sure, uh,
1: and we we know how they feel. Like you know, when we started our wrestling career, it was like on the freaking ground. No one <laughs> don't give on that,
0: right? Exactly. You know, but uh, okay, And that's there's got to be something to that because when they would when they would wrestle from another area and they'd have the different ring, the wrestling would be better. Yeah. Um. So you know, obviously they got to protect themselves, but it was like. I, I don't know.
1: And not a not a lot was required. I mean, I think that was probably the the biggest deal because people got used to seeing True. the action on those hard ass rings. Yeah. You know, so they got they got
0: used to fighting and like very heavy blows, you know, they kept yeah. working snug, solid. Right. Well that is one thing. I mean, first of all, their production was ahead of its time. I will give them that. Oh yeah. Um second of all, like you said, uh, you know they've all gone on record, and a lot of those guys that are like, "Hey, it was it was almost a shoot." Yeah. You know they were like they had these rules that they didn't cross, but you know they many a story of them crawling back to the ring and or, or crawling back to the backstage area after their matches, and so so that is one good thing. Um, I just felt as far as the Von Erics go, I mean you didn't really need it if it was like Von Erics and the Freebirds. Okay, it's just a big a big brawl. It doesn't matter. They're just fighting, so it doesn't matter. But but if you are trying to have a wrestling match with Kerry Von Erich or Kevin Von Erich at the time, it's like they would just, it was like it would just pop in their head, oh, I'm I'm selling too much. I need to come back for no reason. <laughs> it was like that. that is what bothered me the most out of anything.
1: But, well, they, uh, it was more like a fight,
0: you know? Well, yeah, but a lot of times it shouldn't have been.
1: <laughs> but they did have, they did have some great matches and great angles down they, there they, though they you did. know
0: it was just uh yeah, and it was like it was a
1: hot territory because I, I i was struggling putting them in my top 10 and i'm thinking yeah well probably a lot that hurt it was we seen so much of it they would have you right. know we didn't see it like every week we saw all of a sudden there's like this heroes show you yeah. know and you would see it all on espn right but man i mean they had they had some great feuds and great matches down there, though that yeah. freebirds and von Erics, like von Eiks against Hernandez and uh Adams, like some of those matches were incredible,
0: oh yeah, and it, yeah, yeah and the
1: crowd reaction and that's another local territory that would fill up stadiums, right, you know it's like
0: man, yeah. alive, yeah, I mean, no doubt about it, even though my personal taste you know obviously I'm not a huge fan of theirs but, uh. Again, and I've mentioned this before. I saw them in the magazines, and I had my cousins in Texas telling me how great it was. So when I finally saw it, it was a huge disappointment to me. Um, but, but they definitely, you know, have a, have a place. Yeah, uh, I like it better watching it now than I did back
1: then because we had right. all the other wrestling. It, yeah, c- completely different look. I mean, that's another one like looking into another planet. Yeah, <laughs> when you watch the that Texas wrestling, right? Their yeah. brand,
0: exactly. It. It, yeah. yeah. I, but I it was like what watching. the crowd wanted, too. I mean, they knew yeah. what the crowd wanted. You, you didn't have to do all that fancy stuff <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. to pack the sportatorium Yeah,
1: no but. kidding. All and right. they didn't bleed yeah. a whole lot, either. Unless <laughs> no, it was not, not really. Legit, yeah.
0: You know? yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. Uh, well, that wraps up our conversation about territories. Um, as always, thank you, Brace Beamer, for your expert analysis. And anybody that is watching or listening. Um, keep checking back on the butch blood page to see the next time that we will be on. Maybe it'll be next week. Maybe not. Um, it's a so, surprise. <laughs> exactly. Not only to you, but to us as well. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, thanks again. We book by the seat of our Grace, pants. Any, any parting words?
1: No. Uh, thank you everybody. For, I say no every time. And then <laughs> I go in
0: to say something.
1: <laughs> thanks everyone for, uh, Listening, whether you're listening uh, live now or later, and Mad Dog, great job as usual. Have a good night, everyone.
0: You're right. Thank you. Uh, We'll see everybody the next time. Take care.